This is the Last Minute Blues Podcast with Donnie Fandango, Jeff Burton, Alex Ferrario, and former Blues defenseman Jamie Rivers. It is the Last Minute Blues Podcast. Donnie Fandango joined in studio by Alex Ferrario from 101 ESPN. Also handling your pregame, postgame, intermission uh, during the Blues broadcast. Mr. Ferrario, happy Friday to you. Sir. Happy Friday indeed, Donnie. And it feels better this time around. It, it, it sure does, man. So, uh, so uh, since last Sunday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, um, and, and I haven't really talked about this anywhere, but um, I have started um, doing this stationary bike workout thing at oh, home. Oh, really? And so I've been averaging about six and a half to seven miles a day. Look at you go. My freaking thighs are on frigging fire. If I had to run away from someone right now, I would be hosed. Just dude. collapse and hope dude, they I, miss you. Like I would have to, like you know, like bear pose it up or something. Or like you know, I like I just I couldn't. When I I keep looking for the elevator here to be fixed. Nope, and it's not, which is fine because yeah. God knows I need it. Well, that's my cardio too. It's my only cardio. But dude, I was grunting as I was taking stairs today. If anybody was coming the you know downstairs up, they would have. Who the hell is like, this? Who's playing an adult film right now? <laughs> what is going? Ah, ah. No, it's just Donnie lifting one leg up a stair, other than the other. Dude, that's other than that though. I feel like so great. It's you the should. it's it's the total thing about. Um, you know, man, you you I, I'm doing 25, 30 minutes a night, and it just feels really good. Like, I'm so jealous of that. I really wanted, I keep telling myself I need to get into it because my cardio is just ish. Yeah. And I I say it, but the only time I could do it is super early in the morning because with blue season and when my wife works and it's either super early or I do it when I get the girls down to bed, which is like eight o'clock. But the hard part is that's never consistent. You know, so if I could do it eight o'clock tonight because I got no blues game, eight o'clock tomorrow is a nightmare. Right. I'm just complaining like this person, like, oh, woe is me. It sucks that I can't find some consistency with well, it. Well, I, I got to a point, man, where I had to do something because one of the things that I have learned about my mental health over the years is that um, it, it cannot just be like a take my medicine, talk to my therapist situation. It's got to be like a whole, I have to make sure that I'm not eating too much BS. I got to make sure yeah. that I'm getting my exercise and then also doing my therapist and my and my meds because if I if I if I cheat, I can tell. Yeah. I can tell mentally. Oh yeah. And so um it was just something that I needed to do and I'm so freaking glad in which that I'm doing it. And like I don't even care like necessarily if I just if I lose weight or any of that stuff. I mean, I'd like to, but you know, man, I just doing it cuz it makes me feel feels good, good about it. that there's it's amazing how the body works. I wish our good buddy Joe Vitale was here cuz he'd be able to tell us everything about the body. Right. But it's amazing how that works to where just like a little bit of exercise makes you feel so much better for the rest of the day or if you have not even even a healthy meal, but a healthier meal yeah. makes you feel a hundred times better for the rest of the day. It's it's one of the things my doctor, while she was giving me a hard eye roll, uh, said uh, said um, uh, that's why sometimes we uh, that's why uh, food uh, food can be your best fuel. And uh, and I was like, yeah, yeah, you're you're yeah. right. And I'm 48, and I did know that, but <laughs> I'm still kind of dumb. But for the last 25 years, I refused to listen to right, it because right. McDonald's is right there. <laughs> right. And those double cheeseburgers are delicious. <laughs> yeah. All right. So uh, a few things here um, uh, concerning Blues get a win last night uh, against the Rangers, which I want to talk about. But as we were finishing up on Tuesday is when 
all of the ish was hitting the fan yeah. with Kevin Hayes, with the Philadelphia sports writer douche, and this, like that Cutter Gunther thing that just took yeah. on a whole nother life of its own. Right. It was a crazy story in and of itself. And then this guy, so this Philadelphia reporter radio guy, says he has an inside source that said that Kevin Hayes was the one that torpedoed Krug going to Philadelphia, as well as this kid playing in Philadelphia. Am I getting the long and yep, short of it yep, correct? nailed it. All mm-hmm. right. So, uh, Kevin Hayes, over the course of, of however many hours, is starting to get death threats from Philadelphia fans. Right. Saying horrible things about his brother who passed away, to the point that Kevin Hayes has to come out and make a statement. Hey, yeah. it's bull. This is ridiculous. Ridiculous. Mm-hmm. So, this continues, and I believe it continues to... Uh, Wednesday, maybe, mm-hmm. or maybe it was Thursday when Torts, uh, John Wednesday Tortorella, mm-hmm. had, the, had, the, had the press conference, post-game, I guess it yeah. would have been, mm-hmm. and he called out the writer in the room, yeah. which was friggin' great. <laughs> and he made the point, and I thought it was so wonderful that he made the point. And in that room of sports writers, I doubt it's really going to make a difference, but I think it was good to at least be said that that stuff that the media says that is baloney, it sticks. Yeah. Whether it's true or not, it sticks, and these guys that say this crap, they don't care. Right. And to me, it was, I mean, it, it, it wasn't as bad as the Bedard yeah. situation. Yeah, the Bedard thing was wild. Was, but, but, I mean, it's just that word of mouth, that, that nonsense thing, man. Yeah. And, I, you know, one of the things that I wanted to ask you is, does this gentleman risk losing his access to the team for stuff like this, or the team probably has to be pretty careful with it too, because right. if you start banning people that say things that you don't like or, or whatever, but it just, I, I don't know, man. It just seems like this dude's rep should take a huge hit, or he should bear the brunt of this in some way. I mean, he absolutely should, and I mean, I would argue he's bearing the brunt of it right now, especially like from the moment it happened up until John Tortorella taking over that press conference, which, good on John Tortorella, uh, you're defending a guy that Kevin Hayes and Tortorella didn't get along. And like that's the important part to remember. Like yeah. John Tortorella was defending a guy that they didn't see eye to eye, but he stuck up for him. I've had such a weird perspective on this because, I mean, you know, like, we were around the media all the time. Like, Jeremy Rutherford, a beat writer. Now, not saying that this guy in Philadelphia is the same level of JR because JR's been doing this for 25-plus years. But so so we've interviewed this Anthony Sanfilippo on BK and Ferrario in the offseason when the rumors came up about potentially Kevin Hayes and Travis Sanheim being traded away. We reached out to this guy because he's a popular entity in Philadelphia. He does a blog, which I know sounds weird, but that's kind of what media is. If you're not with a paper blog takes over, he does a podcast for the team. I always try and play the devil's advocate on both sides. And by no means am I writing off what happened, Mm -hmm. but like, it's weird to me that somebody who's been around the game for, I think he's been doing this for 10 plus years, would just throw sources out there. Like that's, that's such an old school thing to do that. Like, Yes, everybody uses the phrase, sources are telling me, but they can't back it up because the sources are trying to keep quiet with it. So on the one side of it, I'm looking at it saying, well, maybe this guy really did get a source that nobody knows about. And why would he lie? And why would he lie about that? But if it's a source that's high up that would tell him that, can he come out and say that? Because that's even more of an ish show. Right. But the other side of it is absolutely correct. What you say sticks. And if this was... 
just some random dude that said, hey, yeah, Kevin Hayes probably told him this, then yeah, this guy shouldn't be and shouldn't have rights holders anymore to go to the Philadelphia Flyers. Like before it got to this point where it felt like it was calling the guy out and dragging his name through the mud, which again, I'm not, excuse me, I'm not defending him. I'm just trying to see both sides of it because I would feel awful for this guy. If this guy got a source that actually was giving him information and then it's like, yeah, well, screw this guy. Right. But on the other side, the part that I got so pissed off with, Donnie, and the part that I feel like people should be more pissed off with are the fans. Yeah. Because how ridiculous is it that a guy says something, and if it's incorrect, then bleep the guy. Because that's ridiculous if you said something incorrect. But even if he said it, your first reaction as a fan base, because of a 22-year-old kid who said, I don't want to sign with your team, regardless if somebody told him that he doesn't want to sign there, regardless of any of it, your first reaction as a fan is to take to social media and go after the guy who allegedly told him not to sign here and send him death threats and say that we're happy your brother's dead? Like, that's the part that's even more ridiculous. And that's the part, and again, as much as I loved John Tortorella losing his mind on that guy, I'd like, and you can't do it, but I'd also like to see John Tortorella do kind of what Craig Berube had done when the Nazem Kadri thing happened. Yeah. Like, guys, what are we doing? Right. Why are we sending death threats and slurs to these people? Because they're 22-year-old athletes or because it's somebody that allegedly was involved in the conversation. It was so weird. I hate that Kevin Hayes went through this because it's like, imagine being him where you're on a new team. You have nothing to do with that team anymore. You got away from it. And now all of a sudden you're getting death threats. Like, what the hell is this? And now people are asking you about it in the middle of a season. Like that sucks for Kevin Hayes. Well, and also too, and and just to take it a step further with Kevin Hayes is that as a human being, we don't know where Kevin is in the healing process, where it comes to his brother. Right. I, I would assume that that's still a very fresh thing for him. And yeah, that's just soul crushing. Well, the thing about I got so pissed at the Nazem Kadri stuff because yeah, St. Louis fans made that dude a sympathetic figure. Yeah. What? I know. That guy who I honestly. I, I find to be despicable in, in certain oh, yeah. in the way in which that he plays from time I'm to sure time. I'm sure there's a lot of people that feel that way. And we made him a sympathetic figure in the National Hockey League in the middle of a playoff. I guys, I love sports. I love it so much. It, yeah, this it, it, beyond right. beyond out of hand. Right, and, and like we're all on the same page. You and I were huge fans, and like people get to be fans how you want to be your fans. And you dislike somebody we're not even saying that you can despise somebody you can hate that that's villains have been in sports for the longest time it's one of the best parts of the deal absolutely i used to freaking hate the detroit red wings but my mindset was never man i hope that guy dies or boy i hope whoever died in your family it was good that had to happen it's amazing that that's the level that it gets to and again by no means am i defending this beat writer by no means am i saying like good for this guy to, to do what he did because if he got incorrect information then that's ridiculous and he should lose his rights but I always try and look at it from both sides of it and it sucks for Kevin Hayes it sucks for this guy because if his information was correct and now he's getting his name drugged through the mud the problem with all of this is the fact that death threats come into it like that's where this all this needed to be was yeah this might have happened and then the guy the kid comes
comes out and says, no, it didn't happen because that Cutter Gauthier, he was on an Anaheim Ducks podcast, and he said, like, guys, Kevin Hayes had nothing to do with this. Can we please move past it? And we would have moved on. But instead, we're getting death threats. That's the part that was just so freaking frustrating to me. Just a, And it was just so... I don't know, and it all seemed nowhere. right, 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 and it, because you know we talked about it a little bit in the podcast, and then it yeah. legitimately seemed that when I got back into the studio Same. to upload the the podcast, it, it was all breaking off. Yeah, and I was just like, "What in the hell?" It's just you know, man, it, yeah. the, it's things like that that make me question being a sports fan. Right. You know what I'm saying? Because it's yeah. just like this is not. Well, at all what it needs to be And it's like. the hard part for teams, too, and it's the hard part for fans, too, because, again, this 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 individual, he's a, pop, he's, he's a popular figure in Philadelphia. He's got a blog. He covers the Phillies. He covers the Flyers. Like, it's not some schlub that's in the basement of his house doing mm-hmm. it. Like, he was at the arena that he was doing this podcast that he does postgame. So it's the hard part for fans because everybody's throwing everything at you, and you have to find stuff that's true, that's not true, and you have to sift through it. You have to find reliable sources with it. But then it, it's the other hard part for teams to sift through because you've got individuals that go to games that want to cover it, but you also understand that these guys could throw something out there and it could be completely incorrect, yeah. but you don't want to take away press passes from somebody that you're not sure about. It's just such yep. a jumbled mess from what it's become now with blogs and with tweets and with social media where you could go live with stuff. Like It's a very tough thing to... To, to rally and to kind of wrangle up into one area compared to what it was in the past where you had two or three guys that were just writing for the paper and that was it. Right. It's amazing to me, too, how the inner blue circle keeps things in-house as they do. Like, it almost feels like FBI, CIA oh, levels of intelligence <laughs> when it comes to Doug Armstrong in the inner circle. Yeah. And that, to me, is is one of the most amazing parts of how he does his work. Yeah. The the The... Again, to use a uh, a Will Ferrell old school term, yes. uh, the trust tree. I mean, it, feel, it, it feels like <laughs> I mean, it feels like there that 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 those relationships yeah. for them to be like that in 2024. That's pretty remarkable. Oh, absolutely. And I, I was, the Blues are like one of the best, and I mean that I've been around for the longest time in terms of the trust that they have in their people and who Doug Armstrong talks to, and kind of who is around the media availability. The players seem to trust the guys that are in that locker room. We all had the Jr. and the Jordan Cairo thing, and you heard Robert Thomas the next day talk about how they love Jeremy Rutherford. So like the the, the trust tree in that circle is there. It's funny you mention that because every time I see Doug Armstrong walk by press row, he's always got his jacket on he's got his collar popped and he's walking he's like it feels like fbi like it feels like secret service when he walks (laughs) by you but that's like the front office aura that they have around these parts now especially this time of the year when you're two months away from the trade deadline and everything starts swirling man it's like everything has to be close Tests are close chested, tight to your chest because one thing leaks, all hell breaks loose. Yeah, the the, the very first time that Jeff and I went up there, um, we got we you know we we presented our credentials. We started walking towards where where you are in the booth, and one of the first people that we saw was Doug Armstrong. And Jeff says, don't make eye contact. Don't make eye contact. And I didn't. <laughs> I still don't sometimes. I'm like, oh, God, I just – you never want to be the wrong Dude, he's an intimidating-looking man. All, all general managers seem like they are because a lot of them are former players, and Doug, of course, has been around the game. He's a very intimidating man. But, like, if you talk to him, he's 
down-to-earth kind of yeah. guy, too. So it's like that weird entity. I'll give you a quick story. It's uh, and So at the end of the game, for people that don't know, so all of the front office, the coaches, general, general manager, they, they go down to the locker room the same time as the writers do because you take that first elevator down at the end of the game because you want to be down there when the locker room opens up. So everybody's piling onto the elevator, and you've been on this elevator before. It's not the biggest one. You no. can get a lot of people on there, but there's a weight limit. And so it's always great. you got the beat writers that get on. they shuffle in all the way to the back, and then you're holding the elevator for the front office and the, the coaches and everything that come on board. So everybody's waiting. They come on, and they're standing there, and they're like, well, it's too heavy. Somebody's got to get off the elevator. And so Doug Armstrong, Al McKennis, the coaches are standing at the front, and everybody's just looking at each other like, who wants to get off the elevator and walk past Doug Armstrong? <laughs> who wants to do it? Who wants to do it? And it's like, nope, nope, I'm good. I'm in the back. I'm not going to. <laughs> so it's always that uncomfortability. Like, well, somebody's got to sacrifice themselves to let up so we could get this elevator down. And, and, you know, at the times when the Blues are losing, you know, a lot of those guys aren't happy because yeah. of the loss. It's like, all right, I'm just going to get off the elevator right now. So one of the times I was all the way in the back, and I didn't need to be on it. I was just going down just to get the locker room audio. And I'm like, I'll do it. But then you have to, like, weasel your way through 15 people, right. and it's like all eyes are glaring at you. I'm like, I'm just not going to turn around. I'm just going to get off the elevator and walk away. I am not making eye contact no. with any of you folks. God, no. Uh, before we talk about the game last night, real quick, I want to talk about um, the Blues Hall of Fame induction yeah. happening tonight at the Missouri Athletic Club. Club, and I believe it's going to be broadcast on Channel 4, That's right. if I'm yeah, not mistaken. They didn't have that last year, so it's no. on Channel 4 this year, which is awesome. So getting inducted this year, uh, Pavel Dimitra, yep. Mike Liute, yep. uh, Susie Matow, mm-hmm. if I'm pronouncing her last yes. name correctly, and then I'm missing one more. Uh, Pavel Dimitra. Pa- I said Pavel. Oh, c- Pavel. Keep Big Walt. Big Walt. Big, Big Walt. Walt. Yeah, How can I forget Walt Big Walt? Kuchuk or Walt and Dimitra going in together. Mike Liute is one of the first Blues players that I ever remember hearing about, and I remember... Like that thing. I used Uh, to think they were booing them all the time. Right, right. What the hell? um, Susie has this unbelievable reputation for being like a member of the team. Yeah. Without ever stepping into stepping onto the ice. Yeah, she was the first female head of public relations, if I'm not mistaken, when she was with the St. Louis Blues. Like, and and everybody talks about how she was like, like. The, the one that the players would go to for virtually almost yeah. anything. Like, she would help them get settled. She, like, all of these, mm-hmm. like, very important life things that would happen with the guys outside. Yeah. She was kind of integral in, in, in getting them set. I've heard plenty of the stories from guys that when they were acquired by the Blues, she was the welcome committee, and she was, like, one of the best welcome committees you could have had. She was the welcome committee before welcome committees were things for teams. Like, yeah. she'd be waiting there. I think it was Big Walt that told the story. She was like like waiting at the airport with them, drove him around all of St. Louis, showed him all the hot spots, the restaurants, things like that, got him settled to where they were staying, got him adjusted with the team. And I think it was either Blues History on social media or somebody had posted a video, maybe it was Hockey Night in Canada, but they posted a video of Susie Matthews when she did an interview with Dan Kelly on Hockey Night in Canada talking about when she was the first female head of public relations. And it was a really cool interview. But yeah, I mean, when you hear any of the players that connected with Susie, I mean, you'd think that she was the most important piece of that franchise because that's the person all of the players got to see. And man, she made it like a... 
she made it feel like home for so many guys. Probably part of the reason so many guys wanted to stay in St. Louis yeah, that's because a, of that and the intro to St. Louis. That's a really good point, yeah. too, man. And you think of these guys coming over from halfway across the world, knowing absolutely nobody right. in our town, you know, maybe not even knowing some of the traditions and customs and how things are kind of done here. That's right. pretty amazing to me. Yeah. And then obviously, I mean, Big Walt is is Big Walt. Is he is he an NHL Hall of Famer? Yes. He you think should he's already that? be a Hall of Famer, yeah. All right. Yeah, so I, I think there was a trajectory of guys that needed to get in. Pierre Turgeon was the first one that needed to get in. I hope Cujo's going in next. But, yeah, Keith Kachuk is going to be a Hall of Famer. He should. When you talk about United States-born players, United States-born players, he's one of the best. He's up there with Mike Madano, Patrick Kane. He's one of the best. He should already be in, but, yes, he will be in the Hall of Fame. And then, of course, um, the amazing, the incredible uh, – uh, Pavel Dimitra yep. and um you, you know and I I want to I want to balance this I when Pavel was here I would be frustrated with him from time to time um especially in the playoffs uh, everybody I feel like my dad used to talk about that all the time but in the same breath it is absolutely oh god the way in which that he passed the way in which all of those guys passed yeah. is still just something. That, I mean, I mean, I believe it obviously, but it is just so freaking horrifying. Yeah, I mean, we were robbed of so many years of reunions with Pavel Dimitra. Yeah. Like, the part that I didn't understand because Dimitra was one of my favorite players growing up. Uh-huh. Like I got in right towards the end of Brett Hall's time, and then that transition into the Kachuk and Dimitra and Wait and Mellenby and mm-hmm. Pronger and McKennis. But like. It was McKennis and Demetra for me, the guys that I like grew up loving. And I just, I love, Pavel Demetra was a superstar at the time that I don't think people talked enough about at the time. Like, especially if you look at what he did with the Blues, the points that he put up, the regular season points where it felt like he was always a dangerous player. And then, of course, you know, the, the, the contract situation, he doesn't stay here. He goes on to play in L.A. He plays in Minnesota. As a kid, I always hoped Demetra was going to come back to St. Louis yeah. and wrap up his career, and it never happened. He went to the KHL to play, and then, of course, the plane crash. That's the part that was so alarming was like you're robbed of that like think of all the reunions we've had of you know the cup teams the 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 the, uh, historic nights that they've had for goaltenders and captains like we should have seen a lot more of Pavel Dimitra around and and we, we get robbed of that so there was a documentary that I forgot somebody put together of just Pavel Dimitra's career and just talking about him his time in St. Louis and then you know his post-death and his family I forgot who that documentary was because I'd love to shout it out but it was a phenomenal piece that they have and we'll uh, search for that yeah I would absolutely definitely like to see that I'll find it and I'll I'll, uh, I'll pump it up either on socials or we'll bring it back on Tuesday for our next podcast but yeah he he was one of my favorite players and I'm so happy he's going into that Blues Hall of Fame, and it's so right that he's going in with Keith Kachuk. Yeah, you know, like because that was the dynamic line. It was Kachuk, it was Demetra, it was Doug Waite. So I- I'm pumped that those are the th- those two guys are going in together. My first introduction and my first memory of Keith Kachuk was him getting wailed on by Brendan, Brendan Shanahan, Shanahan yep. in one of the coolest games that I'd ever seen. Wasn't that the game where Shanahan left and came back out to beat the tar out of him? Kachuk cut him up with a high stick. Yeah. My man left in the second, came, and I'm pretty sure came back in the third, scored two goals, including the winner, and beat the bejesus out of Big Walt, too. Like, I, if, like, if I feel like I remember right, like it was one of those things where Shanahan was going crazy, and Kachuk was just 
ducking and covering. You know what I mean? Shane I'm not was gonna, a beast. Dude, he was, and he just, and it's not like Big Walt was small. No. But God, I just feel like Shaney was like a head taller than yeah. him. But see, those, I mean, that that is like my, my first recollection. And then I'm like, who is this freaking guy? And then I pay attention to him more. I'm like, oh, wow, uh-huh. he's something else. And then obviously right. he comes here. But that is a really, also a very impressive Hall of Fame class. Absolutely, man. And, and I mean, Mike Leute now is an agent. Yeah. And is he is he Jordan Bennington's agent? He's Jordan Bennington's agent. He was Vladimir Tarasenko's agent. He's a part of an agency for a lot of high-profile guys. Leon Dreisaitl's agent as well. So, like, Mike Leute has, has built himself into a very uh, respected agent around the National Hockey League. And that makes a lot of sense, though. It's almost kind of weird to me that more players don't go in that direction. Yeah. Because, one, you could, I would assume you could make a Jesus ton of money. Absolutely. And, I mean, the respect factor. You know, I mean, you know, like from player to player, I would think that th- that would matter as opposed player to maybe a guy that didn't play. Well, in, in just a sports agency, you'd think would want those guys to be agents for the players because if you're a player with that stature, the, the high prowess players want to be like, think of the amount of players that go into the NHL, guys that don't know much about it, guys that want to know what it's going or what it, what to expect. I'd want a guy that's played. I'd want a guy that knows what to expect, and that's where Mike Liu comes into play. I'm with you. I'm surprised more guys. Obviously, it's a lot of schooling that you would have to go to once sure. you're done, um, and I don't know Mike Liu's background, if he had a lot of education and Already then went back that, into it. Right. Like, obviously, that's a ton of education, but, yeah, I mean, you'd think players would want that because, man, talk about helping other guys in the league. It's knowing, like, hey, this is going to happen, or, hey, avoid this. This is how we should handle it. I mean, look at the contract stuff that we've seen over the last few years of you know guys working with players to walk it up to that one year restricted free agency so you can either sign or you can go into unrestricted free agency at the right age like that wasn't the case back when Mike Leute played so good for him and good for a lot of these guys because I know there's other former players that are looking into being agents but yeah that's the smart way to go we'll be right back with more of the last minute blues podcast all right so last night um okay I don't know the best way to sort of say this uh, because I absolutely don't want to take for granted a game that you win, that you get a great hat trick from Jordan Cairo, including that first goal, which was a missile. I blinked and I didn't even see him shoot it. Dude, just a missile. Awesome. All right. But, but Drew Bannister did not seem to be no. particularly happy after that game last night. And I believe pretty much the long and short of it was hey, it's great we got two points, but uh, we got to do much better than that. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, if that's not what you want your head coach to say, I don't know what you want your head coach to say. Yeah. I mean, Drew Bannister should have won over pretty much the entire fan base with what he said there. I mean, think about this, Donnie. You started this stretch of seven games against all of these top opponents. It started with the Dallas Stars. You've gone through Colorado, Vancouver, Carolina, Florida, now the Rangers. A lot of these teams are first-place teams. You've picked up four wins in those seven games. You have beaten three first-place teams since Drew Bannister took over. You know how many first-place teams you beat when Craig Berube was here? I'm going to bet four. Oh, boy. Yeah. So, like, that that's massive in itself. And for you to do that against the Rangers, very impressive. But let's call a spade a spade. The only reason you beat the Rangers was because of Jordan, Jordan Bennington. Bennington. So that's where Drew Bannister was getting at. And I think I'm just I'm, – I'm 
trying to formulate what the sentence was here. But he basically said, like, yeah, two points are great, but I think if we played that game again, we're not coming away with two points. Like, yeah. we need to be better in certain areas. Bennington even said it postgame with Curbs and Joey. First thing out of his mouth was, yeah, it's a great win, but we still need to be better in certain areas. I mean, Corsi rating, for people that don't know, it's an advanced statistic that they use for puck possession so when you see Corsi rating Corsi 4 percentage it means that team possesses the puck that amount of time New York at 5 on 5 had the puck 60% of the time or more every period against the Blues now if you look at high danger scoring chances they only had 9 of them in that game so what that is is that's in tight to the goal so good by the Blues to really not allow those high danger scoring chances out of the 43 shots only 9 of them NHL natural stature considered high danger that's those are good like you can allow Bennington to do those types of games so good game defensively but you don't want to be allowing 42 43 shots on goal especially against that type of team but I mean Bannister's talked about it this team is going to have to get comfortable winning ugly games yeah I mean you're going to have to get comfortable in 2-1 games and or 1-1 ties going into the third period and saying we're still in this And that's what they did against this team. I mean, you went 2-1 into the second period. You scored a 3-1 into the third period. That game's not over. You kept pushing, you kept pushing, you kept pushing, and then eventually you got your next goal. So it it was a good game by the Blues mentality-wise, but statistic or strategy-wise on the ice, there are definitely some things to tighten up, specifically the defensive zone turnovers. I'm really glad that you mentioned the word mentality because, dude, the, the, the thing that, that, that I find most consistent since Bannister took over yeah. is the team's overall mentality game in, game out. Absolutely. I mean, it, it, it just feels different. I've kept track of it 17 times this season. A goal has led to two or more goals in three minutes or less. So basically, the other team scores. They're going to score at least one or two more goals in three minutes. 17 times. It's only happened twice under Drew Bannister. Man. And it was that Tampa Bay game. That got out of hand, yep. and it was the Dallas Stars game that the Blues came back and won. Well, and another great thing is, is and I believe I heard this on the pregame last night, is is Bannister talking about is Coach Bannister talking about? Yeah, we're getting more shots in the power play. That's friggin' neat, but we got a friggin' score. <laughs> right. Obviously, I'm paraphrasing, but, but you know, man, <laughs> again, it just seems like. I just really like the place that he's coming from. Yeah. And and it seems like it has been incredibly helpful for the continued growth of this team. I think what was important, not that Berube wasn't providing this, but I think what was important was accountability. Let's look at the examples of that. The Pavel Buchnevich, the Yakub Verana, the Jordan Binnington, where he said, like, Joel Hofer deserves some starts right now. He's done that. Let's look at the the honesty factor. How many times have we heard Drew Bannister be very blunt about things? And he's not calling guys out. Nope. He's not pointing fingers. He's not angry when yeah. he says it. Or he's anything. not a jerk about no. it. You know, I mean, look at the Yakub Verana thing from the Florida Panthers game. He never once talked about Yakub Verana. He said, we have to make better plays in that area. And then what did he do? He sat Yakub Verana. Never called him out. Yeah. Never said spoke poorly of him in the media. And again, Berube never did this, but I just think there's a difference between what Berube was to where we saw a lot of, when you'd go back to the bench, the players would hear it. Compared to now, if you watch the games, when the players go back to the bench, Bannister doesn't say anything. Mm-hmm. Bannister's got his arms crossed. He's very silent. Robert Thomas has talked about this, that you're not looking over your shoulder when you're going back to that bench. I think there's this 
There's this respect factor from Drew Bannister that's like, hey, when we get to film sessions and practices, I'm going to be blunt. I'm going to be honest with you guys. But in games, I'm going to allow you to do the creativity that you want. That's why Thomas's line had so much success last night. Kairu had a couple of turnovers. But you know what Kairu also did? A couple of highlight reel plays. Yeah. So it, like, you have to have that you have to have that that happy medium of we have to play to a certain level to where there's none of this as Ken Hitchcock would say dipsy doodle through the neutral zone and lose the puck mm-hmm. but there also has to be a little bit of respect on my part to say like hey you guys are elite playmakers go out there and make plays all right so two things here real quick one is Jakub Verana a member of the St. Louis Blues when the season is over i don't believe so now Maybe he's a member of the organization okay. with the Springfield Thunderbirds, but I don't believe he's a member of the Blues. Yeah. I, My guess would be when Nikita Alexandrov's conditioning assignment, which if I'm not mistaken is soon, it was 10 days when they did that, or when Justin Falk is activated, he'll be the one that is sent down to the minors because I, I think it's pretty telling that that turnover happened. He came up his first game, played the fourth line, didn't play much, sat him in the third period. The next game he got the third line bump, made that turnover, was on the ice for three goals against, and didn't play the next game. Yeah. I think that's very evident to where guys are starting to show Drew Bannister who deserves to be in the lineup and who doesn't deserve to be in the lineup. So my guess would be he'd go back to the minors. If he clears waivers, then he'll be with the Thunderbirds. I'm sure Doug will explore to see if there's somebody out there because I'm sure Verona would like to play in the NHL, yeah. and Doug's very respectful in that sense but I'm not sure a team is going to be willing to take that trade. So my guess is he'll be a part of the organization, but I'm not sure he's playing with the Blues by the end of the season. Is Drew Bannister named the permanent head coach before the end of the season, or do they leave the interim tag on him until the end of the season? Because maybe for the – you don't know who's going to be a free agent at the end of the year. Yeah. But even in saying that, though, just me talking, I feel like this guy's done what he needs to do to keep the gig, and I'd like to see him get it. I think a lot of people feel that way. I would say if I had to put a percentage on it, 75% he gets named the coach, 25% they leave it open. I don't think they'll name it in the middle of the season, especially okay. if this team plays well. I think they're going to just ride this horse of the interim head coach. I mean, Peruby wasn't named the head coach following that Stanley Cup season. Remember, that that – he was interim all the way through that year. They won the Stanley Cup because there were still people talking like, oh, is Joel Quinville an option? Yeah, 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 and like, yeah, yeah. You're what right. are we talking about? I forgot about that. The guy that. just won yeah. the Stanley Cup. So they'll let this ride through, make the playoffs, don't make the playoffs. They'll go into the offseason. Um, Doug Armstrong's going to do his due diligence with his staff of who's out there, who makes sense. But look, if Drew Bannister takes this team to the playoffs, if Drew Bannister makes Robert Thomas a 90-point player, Drew Bannister gets the best out of some of these guys, and Doug Armstrong feels the way that, yeah, he's going to impact this team the right way. In my eyes, he's done everything you can ask for in terms of what he says and what the players do on the ice. I, I am uh, very much guilty of um, uh, uh, of getting stuck on uh, players uh, who I like a lot. And uh, one of those guys is not a player anymore, and he's a coach, and it's Steve Ott. Yeah. Um, do you see Steve Ott as, a, uh, as somebody that is here next year, or... I think so. I'm assuming he, I, I'm assuming here, but I believe he and Mike Weber's contracts are up. I think there were only one year deals mm-hmm. when they both signed. My guess is he's going to get interest around the league in terms of being a head coach, especially the success the Blues have had and then Drew Bannister coming in and then them being successful again. It's hard not to think he gets some calls. Now, does he get a job? I'm not sure because I thought Mike Van Ryan was going to get a job this offseason mm-hmm. and he didn't. Um if he, if he doesn't take a head coaching job, he'll be here next year because I'm 
I'm sure Drew Bannister sees the respect that the players have for Steve Ott and also has that respect for Steve Ott because of his touch in the NHL. Here's the thing that people aren't talking enough about. The Blues face-off numbers are some of the best in the National Hockey League. That's solely because of Steve Ott. Steve Ott is one of, Steve Ott is one of the best face-off coaches in the National Hockey League, and I'm not sure you want to lose that. Maybe you need to get somebody who works solely on the power play, take some of that responsibilities off of his plate. Maybe you need somebody who does other areas, but if Steve Ott is available and isn't a head coach, it'd be tough to lose that guy. If you're Steve Ott and an organization comes to you and says, hey, listen, we believe that you are an NHL head coach in the waiting, but we would like for you to spend a season, two seasons in our uh, highest affiliate in the AHL. Yeah. If you're Steve Ott, you take that? Like or- a head coach in the AHL? Correct. If I'm Steve Ott, I don't take it. No, you stay in the I, NHL. I think I stay in the NHL as an AHL coach or as an NHL coach, coach. Because this is going to lead to you getting yeah. an NHL job. You're yeah. almost taking a step backwards. Yeah, okay, I mean, okay. I, I, there's nothing against guys in the AHL no, that no, get no, those no, jobs. I mean, Jared yes. Bednar, John Cooper, Drew Bannister. But if I'm Steve Ott, I mean, I'm in a, a, a level of – of high volume and a lot of eyes on me and seeing the success, especially you got to get the power play going if you're Steve Ott, because that's the part that's tough. Like people are going to look at that and be like, yeah, but he's in charge of the power play, which it's not just him. Like Steve Ott's got the strategy. The players have to actually complete the strategy. But yeah, if I, I say an assistant role because yeah. I, I think other teams see that and say, this guy would be a good coach for us rather than the AHL yeah, side. That makes, that makes sense. Yeah. Sometimes I say things and then immediately regret them after in <laughs> hey, which that I say Me them. too, man. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so a couple of things that I just want to make sure that we touch on here today. Uh, big number 55 yeah. uh, moves into number three overall uh, in games played for a defenseman. Um, and uh, it was really great hearing Barrett Jackman uh, last night on the pregame yeah. talk about Pareko. Uh, I think one of the things that um, um, that I took away from that, and not only just that, but it just seems like this dude is universally loved yeah. by everybody in that organization and locker room. Like, I mean, Jax is a pretty um, <clears throat> monotone fella. He's a, he's a very straight-edge yeah. guy. <laughs> but you could tell yeah. that he was giving as much um, emotion as he could emote, you know, in talking about Colton Pareko. And I thought that that was really... I think that was really something special. And I think the thing that's that, that has been the most remarkable to me this year and seeing him play so well is wondering how banged up he was last year. Yeah. It was his back, probably, yeah, right? Yeah, I think he had herniated discs. Dude is six foot six or six foot five. Yeah. Can you even imagine that? Yeah. Can you even imagine how that would affect everything? Everything I've never I've never had a herniated disc. I know Chris Kerber is dealing with herniated discs, and I see the pain he goes through. Now imagine being a pro athlete playing 28 minutes a night with herniated discs. I don't even <laughs> like it's not possible. So when everybody was so down on Pareko, rightfully so. I mean, yeah. it wasn't pretty. But guys, what are we doing? The evidence is right in front of you. Something's not right. He missed 40 games in a season for you, and then came back, didn't have surgery. And wasn't the same player. Yeah. Like, what did you expect? So, this is the Colton Pareko that I've known you've had. This is the Colton Pareko scouts around the NHL. When another, when other teams are interested in your players, there's a reason. Yeah, and that's why Al McKinnis has said it best. That's the player that when you trade away, you're always searching for him. So he's back to health right now, and he is a number one defenseman. And anybody who still doubts that just isn't watching the games. They're not seeing Colton Pareko eliminate the other team's opposition. Yeah, you know what? Uh, you know what else? And I and I think I might get 
angry when I talk about this going forward. But the national perspective on Jordan Bennington. Let's is, go, Donnie. Is such an absolute crock of ish. Yes. If you are saying that he is not a number one, the reason that you're saying that is because you're not watching. Yep. Period. Period. End of story. Oh, but Donnie, look at his save percentage. And oh, he's only got 14 wins. He's 14 and 10. Stop it. Yeah. I, it, it is so mind-numbing to me that people that watch the game more than I do don't see what is so obvious to me, man. Yeah. That friggin' guy on multiple occasions this year has absolutely kept them from getting hammered. Oh, yeah. There are games that they lost that they would have lost worse. There's games that they would have won that there's no way they should have won that Bennington won for them. You're and- San Jose Sharks territory without Jordan Bennington. What I mean by that is you're fighting for a top three pick. Without Jordan Bennington. Yeah. It's plain and simple. Think of what you were at the beginning of the season when he was lights out, one of the best goaltenders in the National Hockey League, and now his last three games where he has got a save percentage at 940 or above in those last three games. I understand the the pushback when it comes to he's got those cold spells in the middle of the season because I can't deny it. Like, last couple of years, he lost his job to Ville Husso. He went dry for them a little bit, and he got fatigued down the stretch. But one thing is very certain, when Jordan Bennington is rested and when games are most important, Jordan Winnington is going to win the game for you. But but also, too, man, you know, Alex, every friggin' great goaltender goes through a bump in the road over the course of an 82-game season. Absolutely. Even most, the best of the best. And most of the time, like Connor Hellebuck, everybody talks about being phenomenal, and he is. He's always phenomenal. But Connor Hellebuck also gets fatigued and exhausted during the postseason. That's when he falls apart because the team used some 65-plus games. Where Jordan Bennington, last year it was they used him an awful lot. And I think that's part of the reason why it didn't look pretty down the end because the guy was exhausted. But when he's playing 45 games, when he's got somebody who's also sharing the time with him, look at what Bennington has done in the playoffs. 2019 Cup run, the following year where he was an all-star before the season was shut down, and then 2021 when he nearly beat Colorado. Ask any scout in the National National Hockey League, and they'll tell you Jordan Bennington's healthy. Blues are taking that to Game Seven and probably beating Colorado because of Jordan Bennington. He's a he should be an All Star this year. I'll throw that out there right now, especially when I look at the other goaltenders that are in. Um, Now it comes down to fan votes, and that's the hard part. So St. Louis listening right now, vote for Bennington because I'd like to see Justin Bieber get shut out in a shootout. That'd be great. But uh, he's playing like an All Star. Other than like a stretch of five to six games where he was used a lot, because remember that cycle of Hoford get pulled, Bennington would go in, Bennington would start, Hoford get go in for the pull. Other than that, he's been one of the most dominant goaltenders in the National Hockey League this season, and his numbers back that up. All right, I'm gonna I'm gonna have to fight somebody the next Let's time. Let's do I it, Donnie. I'm with you. Cage no, I think match. that's a bad thing. All right, one thing on my way out, and this is um I I love rumors uh, in sports. It, well, when they're not like about terrible yeah, things about I, the game. Say, I just mean about player <laughs> movement traits and things i think no, i probably Donnie, should we just shot it down and now Gee, you're endorsing it but i i was uh, was perusing the intranets yesterday and i saw a little bit about the potential of anaheim maybe wanting to move on from trevor zegras yeah. and i know he got hurt uh, and he's out for like eight weeks but th- this this podcast was talking about how zegras is not a pat verbeek type 
guy type player. Or a Cronin guy. Great Cronin guy either. That's the, the, a very – yeah, he's the head coach. He's very Drew Bannister-esque. But, boy, d- 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 let me – just to draw this similarity. Yeah. Is this a Blues Jordan Cairo frustration type situation with, with with Anaheim and Zegris of a young player still kind of trying to figure out? But there's so much talent there. Do you really want to move on from that? I think so. I think that's what it is. What's weird about it, though is the Blues were looking for another coach so that they could get the best out of that. Whereas Anaheim just hired this coach uh-huh. because he's trying to get the best out of it. So. They seem like they're at the point, like, let's say Drew Bannister was brought in and Kyrou was still struggling. Okay. The Blues fans would be like, okay, well, it's the it's Kyrou, which, by the way, Kyrou's playing great right now. But, like, Anaheim's probably thinking, like, okay, well, we brought in a new coach. We got this new team. Maybe it's the player. I think it's a mistake. I think Trevor Zegras is one of those players that you trade and you're like, damn, we shouldn't have traded him away. Yeah. Unless you could get something similar in the return. Mm-hmm. That's the part that... I mean, that's hockey. Sometimes guys like Trevor Zegras, they don't work until they go to another team. Vince Dunn is a perfect example. Everybody saw Vince Dunn as really good player, not a first-line defenseman. He got traded, and I forgot who had the piece, but it was somebody with The Athletic who had the piece on Vince Dunn who talked about how, yeah, it was an eye-opening moment for him to where he had to change the way he approached the game compared to what it was in St. Louis to when he got to Seattle. And when he got to Seattle, he took on this different persona, and now he's a number one defenseman for them. And a lot of Blues fans are like, oh, you shouldn't have let him move. You shouldn't have traded him away. I don't know if Vince Dunn was ever going to be that here. Right. I don't know if Trevor Zegers is ever going to be what they want him to be in Anaheim. He goes elsewhere. He goes get traded to Montreal. All-star every single season. I would almost guarantee you that. So I think when it comes down to it, you want to see the best players have the most success. Yeah. I wouldn't mind seeing him get traded somewhere so he can go out there and put on the the the, the show that he wants. But there's also an element to winning. And I'm not going to doubt yeah. Pat Verbeek and how he knows how to win. And if he feels like this guy's not a winner, maybe that's part of the reason why they traded for this Cutter Gauthier is because maybe they feel like this guy – I mean, they're top six if they keep Zegras – is scary. I mean, you've got that Troy Terry, you've got Mason McTavish, you've got Trevor Zegras, Leo Carlson, Cutter Gauthier, and then you've got uh, the guy that they have for their – oh, um, I'm going to forget his name right now. It was a player who played for the Rangers last year, played for the Panthers. People know who I'm talking about. But your top six is dudes who are 25 years or younger and all have top 10 draft pick ability. And so maybe – Maybe you're flipping him for a goaltender. Maybe you're flipping him for a, a number one defenseman. D-man. Maybe. Yeah. I mean, you just traded a defenseman to get Cutter Gauthier, so maybe you flip a Trevor Zegers and bring in a guy who's ready to be the shutdown number one defenseman for them. Dude, the playing the GM part of this whole thing. It's fun, man. It's friggin' great. And also, too, you know, we're not... We're not affected. I was going to say, I don't, I don't going to lose my job over it. I could just speculate. That's how it works, right? So we got Boston on Saturday, yep. Philly on Monday. Yep. Isn't it supposed to be like crazy terrible weather here on oh, Monday? Oh, yeah. It's supposed to be like five degrees outside, rain, and then snow, which might turn into ice. So good luck commuting on Enterprise Center, but well, we'll get down there. It's hockey weather. It's hockey Dude. weather. Dude. I just, I refuse to leave my house for the next couple of days. Yeah. So the, the, the transfer will be me to my car in the garage, <laughs> to Enterprise in the garage, to the building, back to my car, back to my garage, back to my home, and not leave until Monday. 
That's how this is going to work, Donnie. I, my goal, if there's a Guinness Book of World Records of not touching the outside air, I'm going to try and attempt it this weekend. Boy, and it's boy, it's just going to be stupid. Too. Hey, wouldn't, wouldn't you love to uh, spend your time at the Chiefs game this weekend? Dude. Not because of the Chiefs, but because it's going to be like minus 30? I have went, I, I went to a game in Kansas City where it was, I believe, 25 degrees and sleeting. Oh, no. And it was one of the most fun days that I've ever had that I would never, really? ever want to do again. Gonna say, really? Yeah, but I also got pre- I got a snootful uh, okay. in the, it, it, as we were tailgating. Okay. Tailgame well, started then. at like nine, so I was warm so, and toasted. So, so you forgot about being freezing then? Yeah, I did until yeah. I was standing in line to get a pretzel and somebody started yelling at me about the bills and then I started yelling back and thought I was going to get into a fight. Um there are times like that's that. That's how you stay warm, Donnie. You get into fist fights. Yeah, that's how I get my ass beat. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's, that, that's how that works, Alex. All right. For my dude, Alex Ferrario, Jamie Rutherford, Jamie Rivers, and our friggin' homeboy, Jeff Burton, who is up there somewhere wishing Clem Costin an amazing career. It's the Last Minute Blues Podcast. Thank you, as always, for listening. Let's go, Blues. The Last Minute Blues Podcast. Hear more at 1057thepoint.com.